guys ready to get into the word? That was just a little warm-up, then we're going to have another worship set, and then I'll preach another sermon after this one. So go ahead and just uh, cancel your plans for the day. I know the Browns are playing, but let's face it, that's not going great. So, I, you know what it is, man? I just feel like, I feel like that person who was like in an abusive relationship, and I'm like, I trusted you again, like, not maybe an abusive relationship, but like, you know what I mean, like, that's too far. You know what I'm saying. Like, I was in this, I, they are the factory of sadness, still. And it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who we hire. They're always going to be the factory of sadness. It's always going to be that way. Forever and ever, amen. My goodness. So we're starting a series today, and, uh, and that series is called the Samuel Series. Now, a lot of times I do a walkthrough, and that's where we take you through a, a different book. Usually it's the New Testament, usually it's an epistle. And, uh, and, and we walk through it and we read every word of the entire book within, within the entire uh, chapter um, week by week until you've heard the entire book. And, uh, and then we kind of go through it. Um, that's what we do with walkthroughs. This is going to be more like a cliff notes. I'm going to highlight different stories that have caught my attention and just share principles with you. I don't know about you. I never want to tell you how to live your life. I always want to give you principles and teach you to apply those principles so that when you're hit with a moment and you're like, how am I supposed to do this? You're not thinking, well, what did Pastor Terry tell me to do? You try and think, what principles does the Word of God teach me? And what do I need to apply and let God do what God does? Amen? Um, you can go ahead and bring the lights up out there a little bit more so I can see who I'm talking to. That'd be awesome. So we're going to start at the beginning. And, uh, and so I'll tell you, we're going we're gonna to start with um, the story of Hannah. That's Samuel's mom. But then it's going to quickly move next week to King Saul. The week after that, it'll be King David. The week after that, or just David. The week after that, it'll probably be King David. I mean, it's going to move pretty quick, okay? But today we're going to talk about where it all kind of started with Samuel. We're going to talk about his mom, Hannah. And uh, if you have Bibles, how many of you guys actually have a Bible like this that you brought with you? Woo, look at that. It's making a comeback. I'm so proud of you guys. There was, a, there was a moment, man, when you'd be like, hey, hold up your Bibles in church. You remember back when the iPad started coming out? It looked like everybody's holding up a cookie sheet, <laughs> right? Like, wow, okay. Are we reading the Word or are we baking together? What's going on? <clears throat> so we're going to be in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. And, and I'm just going to read through the entire thing. And, uh, and then I'm going to tie it together at the end on how, how, how it relates to your life. At the end of the day... Anytime I preach a word, I want to do my best to give you a takeaway. What can I do to be a stronger man or a woman of God today, right? Isn't that what you want when you're hearing the word? What can I do to be a stronger man or woman of God today? And so that's what we're going to do. So I'm just going to start reading, and I'm going to go kind of verse by verse and just kind of expound on it, okay? And uh, hopefully by the end of it, you're, you're challenged but you're also encouraged and that you'll believe that God has some amazing things in store for you. Amen? Amen? Let's start with prayer. Father God, I just pray that you would anoint me to preach your word, God. Lord, I, I could easily put my foot in my mouth or get this wrong. I just pray that you would strengthen me to preach what you need said today. And Lord, that you would open our eyes and that you would open our ears and just help us receive 
what it is that you want us to know and you want us to apply in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So here we go. Let's just start. And I'm just going to start reading, and I'll stop here and there and just kind of share some thoughts with you. So uh, starting in verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim, uh, Joseph, Zophim, sorry. <laughs> These are hard words, y'all. Don't judge me. <laughs> of the mountains of Ephraim, his name was Elkanah, and he was the son of Jeroham, 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 whatever. <laughs> He was the son of Elihu, the son of two. It's, why are who named these people? Whatever happened to Bob and Ted and Jeffrey? So basically, I'm going to stop right there. He was from a tribe of people with horrible names. But his lineage was simply this. He came from the Levites. The Levites were priests. So he comes from a whole entire family of priests. That's who he is. That's what, his, that's what his family, and this is going to be Samuel's father, okay? Comes from a whole entire line of priests. Are we there? Whew, that was torturous. Now, he had two wives. Now, we're talking about Samuel's dad here. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. Thank you, Bible, for making that one easy. And the other was Penenna. And she, Penenna had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice the, uh, the Lord and, of hosts in Shiloh. He's from Shiloh, man. I too am from Shiloh. <laughs> with, the sons, with the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, I, I assume Ferb is going to be there at some point in time as well. And the priests of the Lord were there. So this takes place in Ramah. Uh, the, the word Rama means height, so it's kind of higher up. And they're going to be taking a trip from there to, to Shiloh. Don't do that unless you have to, right? How many of you guys have ever been to Shiloh, Ohio before? Oxford. Oh, man, if you've been to the Oxford. My mom had, my mom, so we grew up in Shiloh. My mom said, had such delusions of grandeur about how important to the world the Shiloh Oxford was. We had, we had like this house like right on, right on Main Street, and so everything passed us, and we were, you know, I got to, when I was working at the county jail, like before I was working at the county jail, I'd watch as a kid, I'd watch people get arrested across the street each, each year at the Oxrows, get, get taken in for drunken disorderly, and I always wondered as a kid, where are they going? And then I worked my first night of booking at the county jail as an adult, and I realized where they were being taken to, <laughs> right? And it was like a big family reunion. And my mom, like, she, she just really... She just had like this sense of like pride in her little town. And she's like, this is the biggest parade in Ohio. I'm like, mom, that is clearly not true. She's like, no, people come from all over the world for this. I'm like, uh, maybe not the world, maybe all over Richland County, possibly Huron. And, and, and then she just thought it was like the greatest thing in the history of the world, which that Oxros man is a party in your mouth. But anyway. The distance would be from, from Rama to Shiloh would be like from, from here to my house in Shelby because I moved up. Now I live in Shelby. I'm a Shelbilly now, right? Not a big improvement, but still there. Uh, there's at least in Shelby more teeth than mullets, which can't be said about Shiloh. Anyway, okay, I'm done. I love all my people. I love all my people. I'm sorry. Here we go. So that's the trip, right? So now look at his family. It's verses four and five. So whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, 
and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would always give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. So think, here's, here's what's going on. And, and, uh, and I'm going to try to be sensitive because I know that there are probably people in this room by sheer statistics alone who have dealt with infertility issues. Okay, So I'm going to be careful with what I say here. And, uh, but, but, but there are some lines that you can draw. And so he's, he's saying here that you have Hannah, who was unable to have children, and you have Pen- Penina, who, who was his other wife. And, and what the theory is, is that Hannah was his first wife, and that he took Penina because she wasn't able to have children, right? And so whenever he would give offerings, he would give a little to her, but a lot to Hannah, because his heart was truly with Hannah, right? That's what, he's, that's what it's saying there. And um, think about that for a minute. Think of, think of being Hannah in this moment. And nowadays, there's the understanding that, that if, if you are someone who's been unable to conceive, that doesn't affect your value one bit. But that wasn't the case back then. Back then, the culture was your worth as a female and, and your, your value as a female was tied to how many sons you could give your husband to work in the family trade. Thank God we've grown quite a bit since then, right? And, and people know that your value isn't what you can do, it's who you are in Christ. But at this moment in time, that's what it is. So think about being Hannah. Her one and only metric for her value has taken a hit. And she can't conceive. She is unable to give her husband the one thing that he wanted from her, and so he had to take another wife in order to get it. Can you imagine the pain and suffering that she's now feeling? The the moments of feeling inadequate and feeling like you're not enough. Amen? That's where she's at. But then still, he was head over heels in love with her, and when it came time to bless her, he would bless Penina enough but a double portion would go to Hannah. So Hannah was a very blessed, but also a very broken person. How many of you know that there, there's a way in this world to be very, very blessed, but also very, very broken? Amen? I'm blessed. Life is good. I'm grateful for what I have. But also there are some aspects of my life that are a source of pain and contention and struggle for me. And so because of that, I'm blessed, but I'm also, I'm also broken. That's where Hannah was living. Now, if you look in verse 6 and 7, it says this, that her rival, Penina, would also provoke her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year that she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her there and she wept and did not eat. So now, not only does she not feel like enough in this moment, on top of that, this other lady is rubbing it in. Salt in the wounds. Don't you dislike those people that rub it in? Like Ohio State fans when you're a Michigan fan rubbing it in? Right? There's always one in every crowd. Uh, No, no. We don't say things like that in the house of God. I don't. But you think about it, this woman's mere existence is a constant reminder that the one thing that she drew her value from didn't work. A constant reminder. Every time she saw her, it was just a reminder of what she was missing. 
Does that make sense? What does it say in verse 8? We'll keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm heading somewhere, I promise. Because like it started out, we were laughing, we were making fun of Shiloh, it was great, and now it's starting to get a little heavy in here. I promise it'll get better. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? I mean, it was so bad it was affecting her, her, her appetite. Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better you than ten sons? Here's what I'm going to say about this, this part of it. This just points a picture that men haven't known what to say <laughs> since the beginning. Husbands, it's not your fault. It's always been there. The propensity to get it wrong and say the dumb thing. When all the other things that we could say, we always choose the dumb one, right? It's, let me just help you understand. It's always been there. Don't feel bad. Always. Okay? It's not just you. I mean, it's probably you. But it's not just you is what I'm saying. Jeez Louise. And why? What, am, I not, am I not better than... T- <sighs> Dude, swing and a miss. <laughs> that would be the equivalent of you looking at your wife and being like, Why are you crying, girl? Don't you know you got me? I mean, it's really what it is. Am I right? That's exactly what's happening here. I could just see him scratch. What you crying about, girl? And and it's from because he's in Shiloh, right? Exactly. Oh man. I hope any of our first-time guests aren't thinking to themselves, "Are we going to get anything of value today?" I promise. I hope so. That's the plan at least. So to recap where we are, you have Hannah. Hannah's a blessed woman, but she's broken. And because she's unable to, to give her husband the one thing that her husband would want, because that's where all of her value is tied to, he has now looked elsewhere. And every time she sees that other woman, it is a reminder that she is just not enough, Right? But something happens. Verse 9 through 11. So Hannah arose. After that, she finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. It's probably roast beef, right? Now Eli the priest was sitting on a seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. And then she made a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but give your maidservant a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall come upon his head. Obviously, my mom didn't pray this prayer, right? (laughs) Here's the amazing thing. In the middle of all that, it's been going on for a while now. Obviously, it's been going on for at least a few years because it said that he had sons and daughters, right? So we can, we can take from this that this has been going on for a minute, right? After all of those things and all the struggle, Hannah does something absolutely amazing. Let me read it again. So Hannah arose. Let's stop right there. She had a Hannah arose moment. 
Thank you for getting how important that is. She had a Hannah arose moment. That means she's looking at her situation. She's looking at her circumstances. She's watching all of this go on. And she said, you know what? In spite of everything, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to get myself ready. I'm going to go to the house of God. And I'm going to deal with this. And so that's exactly what she did. She might have been going through hard times, but she arose in that moment. She goes to the tabernacle. She begins to do business with the presence of God. That's what this is for. We don't push you to come to the altar so that we can say that our altar numbers were better than ever. That's that's not a metric we keep here, okay? But we believe this and we know this, that that the altar is a place where heaven and earth collide. Where amazing things happen, where lives are changed. When I married Megan Garrett, who was formerly Megan Cooper, when I married Megan Cooper at the altar, life forever changed. Poor girl. (laughs) Yeah, get that girl a medal too. Start shining it up. I saw a clock the other day that was like this big, like it could, her medal needs to be like that big. She needs to wear it, like I said last week about Wes's wife, like Flava Flav, like that big, right? She needs that big of a medal. But we understand that when you come to do business in the house of God, the altar is a place where heaven and earth collide and God's presence is here saying, come to me, I'm going to do a work within you. Amen? She had that moment. And here's what she said. She said, I know what my situation says. And sometimes we just got to say that. I know what my situation is. But she said this, it's time I stop putting more stock in what the situation is saying than what God is saying. Can we land land there for a second and just kind of let that one marinate a little bit? In her actions, she said, it is time I stop putting more stock in what the situation is saying than what God is saying. And that's that moment where it says that she arose and she said, God, if you will do this, then I promise with everything that I have that I'll do this. I will walk in faithfulness according to your faithfulness. And she said, I know what my situation says. I know what my situation's been for years, but I'm dumb enough to believe that, God, if you'll intervene, it can change. Amen? So she goes to the tabernacle and she begins to do business with God. And she's in such anguish that she can't even get words out. Her lips are just moving. And, and, and <laughs> Eli sees it. Here's what she says. She says, she says that, that if you will do this, I will give this child to you all the days of your life, his life. Do you know what that means? Here that just means I'll bring them to church and I'll raise them in the ways of the Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll teach them to love the Bible. I'll teach them to love the presence of God. I'll teach them to want to win others to Christ. And he's going to be a young man after your heart. But what this means is that by the time he's old enough to be in grade school, he will be tabbed to be a priest. And he will no longer live with his mom and dad. He'll visit. And he will live where the priests are, and he, they will train and tutor. By the time they're in middle school age, they are nonstop training and tutoring at the elbow of a priest. She's saying, I'm willing to completely give him up if you will give him to me. Think about that. She's saying, I want this so bad that I don't even have to have it. I'll hand it to you. That's how bad she wants it. It takes a moment of desperation to make us willing to give up what we never had but always wanted. And that's where she was. Yeah. 
Amen? Does that make sense? Verses 12 through 16. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Eli going straight to the best in people, right? (laughs) Yeah. So he said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, and she said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant to be a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I haven't spoken until now. So Eli thought she was snockered. Eli thought woman was hammered. That's what he thought. He looked at her and she's like, she's over here and she's crying and her hand, I can just imagine her, she's at the altar, her hands are in the air. She's trying to talk, but, but the only thing that can come out is the tears and she's moving her lips and she's just in a moment of desperation and he's looking at her and instead of saying, hey, there's a woman who's clearly got a broken heart before God and trying to get this figured out, he's saying, yep, she's been hitting the wine. Be careful to assume what may be fueling people's actions. You may be surprised what it actually is. Amen? That's That's just a little side note for you. She assures them, I'm not drunk. I'm just grieving. I'm pouring my heart out to God because of years and years and years of this. And Eli says something absolutely mind-blowing. It's either crazy or brilliant. How many of you know that most things fall on the line of either crazy or brilliant. Like they could either, it could go either way half the time, right? So Eli says this to her in verse 17. Then Eli answered and he said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Gutsy move. His answer to her pain and her struggle and her crying at the altar because of years and years and years of heartache because what she put her value on isn't giving her what she's supposed to be getting out of it. And so she feels like she's not enough. His, his, his answer is, go in peace. Talk about not saying that Eli must be a husband. I love our husbands. Guys, you're amazing. And your wives are lucky to have you, honestly. I know that I bag on us, but, but uh, I'm not going to stand up here and make fun of wives. That's for dang sure. So it's us, right? Sorry, it just is what it is. But Eli had no idea what to say here. And so he says, go in peace. And it sounds like a dumb idea. But, but if he was just saying, go in peace, and that's it, it would be. But there was more to it. He says, go in peace. And the Lord will handle it. I can imagine at first that not hitting her very well. Did you just tell me to go in peace? I've been dealing with this for years and years and years. It's been a struggle of mine for years and years and years. That woman taunts me every chance she gets. Every time I see her, it just reminds me what I don't have. And you're telling me go in peace? But obviously there's something more to it, right? So he says, go in peace. Go your way. What he's saying is, go back to your life. Verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
He said, go your way. It's going to be fine. That's a gutsy move, but he said it. And you know what she did? She did exactly that. So she left and she said, I'm going to go back to my life as I know I'm supposed to lead it. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to my husband. I'm going to do the do's. I'm going to don't the don'ts. I'm going to live the way that I'm supposed to and let God handle the rest. And that's exactly what she did. She went and she ate and she drank and she, and she worked and she did what she was supposed to do. And then God did what God said he would do. She didn't say, wow, are you sure? She didn't run home and start thinking about how she should make God's plan happen. So often somebody gives you a word and they're like, you, the Lord has laid on my heart to tell you that he's going to use you in this area. And then you go home and start formulating a plan to make that come to pass. And God never called you to do that. God said, if I make the plan, I'll figure the way of making it happen. And you just need to be obedient. Amen. So she went home and she was obedient and she did what she was supposed to do. And God did the rest. Did you hear that? God did the rest. What's the end of the story? The end of the story is she has a son. She calls him Samuel. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't be preaching Samuel today. It'd be like something else. But it's Samuel because that's who God gave her. He becomes a priest. He becomes a priest who anoints David and Saul to be kings. God used him mightily. But it was all because of how she handled that moment and had the Hannah arose moment that changed everything. Because the fact of the matter is, is everybody's going to go through something hard. Everybody's going to go through something that's a struggle. But the question is, what will you do with it? Will you have a Hannah arose moment? Amen? What does that have to do with you? Worship team, you make your way up. What does that have to do with you? One thing I know to be true is that there's probably a lot of Hannahs running around here. Now understand, I'm not talking about physical pregnancy now. In the Bible, over and over and over again, and in prophecy, you see that when somebody... No, we do have a lot of pregnant ladies in this. This place, we're going to grow, we're gonna have to knock down a wall, because I think we got like seven ladies pregnant around here. Water, check your water. But, but Scripture shows that pregnancy represents the birth of something new, the birth of a dream, the birth of a vision, right? And so look at what happens here. There's a lot of you. You've been desiring God. Now let's think abstractly here. A lot of you, you've been desiring God to do something special in your life. He's given you and placed within you a dream, a vision. It could be a career thing. It could be a marriage thing. It could be a ministry thing. It should be a ministry thing. In each and every follower of Christ, there should be something birthing within you that you want to be used by God in one way or another. That doesn't mean that you have to grab the microphone and start preaching, but God can use you and the lives of others around you, and he wants to place that dream within you. Amen? Being a follower of Christ should already come with a desire to change the world around you. God has placed some dreams and visions within you and you've been desiring for him to do it, but it hasn't happened yet. And you're beginning to lose heart. Maybe it's been a long time since the Lord told you you would meet that special someone. 
and get married. Maybe it's been a long time since the Lord told you, I'm going to use you at your workplace. Maybe it's been a long time since the Lord's laid something on your heart and it hasn't happened yet. And so often we begin to lose heart. We begin to grow bitter and hopeless. And that was kind of where Hannah was. Looking at her life and all the things that she didn't have and all the value that she was missing out on, she began to get hopeless. She began to let every ounce of her bitterness and her frustration and her pain out as she began to cry out because every time she would walk into the house of God, she'd see Peninnah on the other side of the sanctuary and it was just a reminder. And so she has this moment where she arises and says that Hannah arose and she said, I'm gonna do business with God. So she goes to the house of God and she says, I'm begging you, God. You know what you placed on my heart. And I'm just asking you to give me that which you've placed in my heart. I'm not asking for more. I'm not asking for less. I'm just asking you for the things that you've placed in my heart. I'm asking you to begin to do a work right now. And if you will be faithful, I will be faithful with what you give me. And she cries that prayer out. And God does something with it. You need to have the Hannah Rose moment. You need to have the Daniel arose moment. You need to have the Larry arose moment. You need to have the Hunter arose moment. You need to have the Diana arose moment. The Gary arose moment. The John arose moment. You need to have that moment where you say, no longer am I just going to sit by and wish that the things that God's been laying on my heart would happen. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do business with God about it. Just like Hannah did. Go ahead and stand to your feet, friends. Just like Hannah did, you take it to the Lord, right? You cry out and you say, here's everything going on. And you learn to not trust the naked eye because so often with your naked eye, it looks like nothing's happening, but God is at work. You need to stop paying so much attention to what the situation is telling you and start paying attention to what the Holy Spirit tells you and what the word of God tells you. Amen. You had that Hannah Rose moment. You need to cry out to God, and then you need to go in peace. You don't need to go home and start your plan. You don't need to go home and start writing down, how how am I going to make everything happen? You go home and you let God do what God does. And if he lays something on your heart, be faithful to do it. If he says, talk to this person about this, then you go and you talk to that person about this. If he tells you to retire from your job, then you retire from your job. If he tells you to do anything, you just do it and you do the next right thing. You do the next obedient thing. And before you know it, you're looking at the situation. You're like, holy mackerel, how did this happen? All I did was just obey that one step. And now look at what God's done. Amen. So you go your way. You eat. Because church people are going to eat. It's going to happen. Especially if you're heading towards Shiloh. It's going to happen. You go your way. You eat. You drink. You live life. You go love your children. You go love your friends. You go live life with your church family and with your, with your actual family. And you just trust God and let him do what he does. So maybe there are people in this room. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like there are people in this, new, in this room who need to have the Hannah or Rose moment. 
who need to get to the altar, put their hands in the air and say, I don't know what my situation says, but I know what you've laid on my heart and I give it to you. And if you'll just be faithful, I'll continue to be faithful. I'll be faithful with everything you give me. I'll be faithful with everything you do and watch him do what he does. You get up from that altar, you go your way and you live in peace and you trust him for the rest. Amen? So I'm going to pray. The altars are open. Maybe you're in a Hannah kind of moment right now where you just need God to work in your life. The altars are open. Maybe you need prayer. We have a prayer team. The altars are open. This is a place where heaven and earth collide and where God can do a work. And after that, you go in peace, you live your life, and you let God do what God said he would do. Let him be faithful to you. Amen? Father God, the word that I've spoken was what you laid on my heart, God. We trust you to do with it what you will. There are people in this room that need to have an arising moment. I pray that they would have it today and that you would begin to start the process of the work that you've been laying on their heart long ago. Help us to have the Hannah arose moment right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship God. Altars are open. If you got to go, then you can go. But if you need to come and do business with God and say, God, here I am. I need you to do a work. It's time. Go for it. It's right here. Let's go after it.